If you have your Bible this afternoon, let's turn to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah and to the first chapter, (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 1. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the life of the prophet Jeremiah. And for a focal point, uh, why don't we look at Jeremiah 1, uh, verses 4 and 5. Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5. Let me invite you as you're able to stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's word. Get I'm reading from Jeremiah 1 and verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. May God bless today the reading and the hearing of his word, and let's join in prayer. Gracious and loving God, you have, uh, through the years, had uh, thy choice servants, uh, thy prophets and apostles that you have called forth uh, to serve in thy name and to hold uh, special offices within thy church. And As we meditate today and think about the life and ministry of thy servant Jeremiah, we we ask, O God, that you would help us to to learn from his life uh, so that we might uh, admire and praise thee more, but also that we might see patterns of faithfulness that might be applied in our own lives. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, recently in these uh, Lord's Day afternoons, we've commenced a little short series, a biographical series on some of the great men of the Old Testament. And in particular, we've been looking at the great Old Testament writing prophets. And so uh, we looked at Isaiah, we looked at the life of Isaiah, and then we did a sketch of the writings of Isaiah And today we're going to move on to the prophet Jeremiah. And if you have your Bibles and you're open to Jeremiah, we're going to read a number of passages. You can turn and look at some of those. You can simply listen to me, read them, whichever is going to be best for you. But uh, of Jeremiah, one study Bible uh, said the following. It said, Jeremiah recounts more of his own life than any other prophet telling us of his ministry, the reactions of his audiences, testings, and his personal feelings. And so according to at least this one uh, author, uh, then uh, uh, Jeremiah tells us more about himself than any of the other prophets. Sometimes Jeremiah is best known by the description of him having been the so-called weeping prophet. And we're going to look at some of the passages that uh, led to him being given that name. He is designated as the author, of course, of the book of Jeremiah. So he's one of the great writing prophets of the Old Testament. Jeremiah 1.1 begins the words of Jeremiah. And so the book of Jeremiah is written by him, but also the book of Lamentations is traditionally attributed to Jeremiah. The title of that book in the authorized version, in fact, is The Lamentations of Jeremiah. The name Jeremiah means something like Jehovah 
or the Lord casts or throws in the sense of casting down a foundation or of issuing an order. And so the name means Jehovah establishes or Jehovah appoints or Jehovah commissions or Jehovah sends. So we want to think a little bit about the life of Jeremiah and about what we might know about his family, backgrounds, and so forth. And we learn a lot about this man, uh, as we do with most of the prophets. We want to learn about them, usually not only about uh, who their father was, and also at what time in the history of uh, Israel and Judah that this prophet carried out his ministry. Usually, if you look at the opening chapter of any uh, book that's attributed to him and the opening verses, it'll give you that information. So if you look at Jeremiah 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and following, we read as follows, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anatot, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. And it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, under the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. And so here's some of the things we learn from this. We learn that Jeremiah was the son of a man named Hilkiah, and that Hilkiah was a priest. So he came from a priestly family and that he lived and was raised in a small village that was near Jerusalem. It was called Anatote and it was in a land that was that had been given to the tribe of Benjamin. And so remember the Levites were the priestly tribe and they weren't allotted one set of land but they dispersed those from the tribe of Levi into the various lands of the the, the tribes and they would serve as the priests among the people. Uh, in that role. And so he came from this priestly family, from this small town, and from the land of Benjamin. And then we're also told uh, something about uh, the ministry background. And we find out that he was ministering during the last days of the southern kingdom of Judah before they were destroyed by the Babylonians. And he carried out his ministry under the last several kings that ruled in Judah. And the beginning of this, we're told in verse 2, was he started his ministry during the reign of Josiah. Now, Josiah was the last great king of Israel. He was really a, a, sort of the last best hope for the nation. Perhaps he would be able to turn the nation around. And you may remember that he was a godly man. And that during his rule... Uh, the law had been suppressed and they were restoring the temple and they found the law and they brought it to Josiah. And when he heard the law and realized that the people had not been following it, hadn't been keeping the Passover, he rent his garments and he, he, he prayed and he, he issued lamentations and he, he ordered a reformation basically to take place in the land of Israel. But he then went out into battle to fight the, the king of Egypt, and he was slain, tragically slain in battle, and wasn't able to carry out all the further reformations that might have taken place that might perhaps have turned the nation around. And then after Josiah, it was basically all downhill from there. 
as a series of his sons ruled and they, they didn't have the godly character of their father and the end result was a few kings down the line that the nation was carried off into exile. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And so we get mention of two of those um, uh, sons of Josiah who ruled after him, who didn't have the same metal as, as he did in verse 3 of Jeremiah 1. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, under the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and he was the last king, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. And so whereas Isaiah had prophesied the fall of Judah and the fall of Jerusalem eventually to the Babylonians, Jeremiah saw this take place during his own lifetime. His ministry, again, spanned uh, some 50 years of the, the last 50 years, basically, of the nation of Judah before it would fall. So he lived in very turbulent times. Um, in some ways, maybe it was the best of times, as Dickens might have put it, uh, because he, he, he ruled during the time of King Josiah, or he was prophesying during the time of King Josiah. But on the other hand, of course, it was the worst of times. He would see the nation destroyed, humiliated, uh, their, their, their temple destroyed. And so he, he saw the best of times and the worst of times. Jeremiah, like all the great prophets, experienced a call by God to his office. And we read part of this in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to him, and God said to him in verse 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And this sounds a lot like Psalm 139, where the psalmist says that uh, I was knit together in my mother's womb. And before I was born, I was known of God. And it speaks to God's sovereignty over every man's individual life. But here, God knew Jeremiah uh, before he was even conceived in the womb. And God had a plan for him. He says, before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. Jeremiah was set apart by God for a particular purpose, to be made holy, to be sanctified, to be set apart. And he says, I ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. And so God had elected Jeremiah, we could say not only to salvation, but he had elected him to office even before he was ever born. Now, if you're familiar with the prophets, you know that typically when a prophet gets called, that uh, they will give excuses. They will, they will not feel worthy of, uh, of the calling that they have been given. Christians sometimes feel like this. I'm not worthy to be a Christian. I'm not worthy to serve in this role or that. Even the Apostle Paul uh, will say, who is sufficient for these things? And we talked, I think, last time about Moses. When Moses was called to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go, he said, I got to, 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 don't, don't speak very clearly. And he gave an excuse, and uh, God said, well, Aaron will serve as your spokesman. And then he said, well, if I go there, uh, they'll ask me who you are, and I don't know who your name is. And God says, well, tell them I am that I am. And so God answered every one of his excuses. And then we saw last time, didn't we, in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah was called, he said, I'm a, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in, among a people of unclean lips. And the Lord uh, sent one of the seraphim to come and touch his 
mouth with a hot coal and to purify him. And then Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And so the Lord overcomes these doubts and these objections of the prophet. And we see that Jeremiah does the same thing. Look at Jeremiah 1.6. Then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a child. And so uh, Jeremiah's um, a response basically was to say, I'm, I don't speak well and I, I'm too immature. I'm too young to take on this type of responsibility. And then the, the Lord answers him, look at verse seven, but the Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And there's probably a play there on Jeremiah's name. It's the Lord who throws down uh, kingdoms and sets up kingdoms, establishes kingdoms. And he has sent his prophet uh, to have a twofold ministry to tear down that which is wicked and evil and to build up and to edify that which is uh, right and righteous and true. And so um, we have uh, this call of the prophet Jeremiah. He wasn't a self-appointed prophet. He didn't go into the ministry because he really, you know, thought he had a gift for the gab and liked spiritual things or something like that. God placed his hand upon him and called him to this ministry. Later on in the book of Jeremiah and Jeremiah 20, the prophet will say that, that he once tried not to speak in God's name, but he couldn't hold it in because it was like a fire uh, in his belly, in his bones. And so in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, Jeremiah will write, Then said I, I will not mention, make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. In other words, I couldn't keep it in. I could not, I couldn't not speak about God. And sometimes when people feel called maybe to go into the ministry, well, although that's not being called to go into the special office of a prophet. But sometimes uh, the advice I think Spurgeon gave this was, if you can do anything else, do it. But if you feel compelled to speak, uh, and to preach the things of God, then you can't hold it in. It must come out. Um, Jeremiah, aside from speaking God's word, like many of the prophets, was called upon to engage in symbolic actions. We saw this with Isaiah. Remember how he walked around for three years barefoot and naked uh, to give witness to what was going to happen to the land of Israel eventually in exile. Well, Jeremiah also had a series of prophetic actions that he was called to undertake as a prophet. Let me just mention a couple of these. One was uh, he was compelled by God at one point to wear a filthy 
girdle or belt around his waist. And we see this described in Jeremiah chapter 13. If you look over in Jeremiah chapter 13, we have a description of this. Thus saith the Lord unto me, Go and get thee a linen girdle, and put it upon thy loins, and put it not in water. So I got a girdle, according to the word of the Lord, and put it on my loins. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, Take the girdle that thou hast got, which is upon thy loins, and arise, Go to Euphrates, that's a river, and hide it there in the hole of a rock. And so I went and hid it by Euphrates as the Lord had commanded me. And it came to pass after many days that the Lord said unto me, Arise, go to Euphrates, take the girdle from thence which I commanded thee to hide thee. So he takes this, this girdle, this, this belt of some sort, And God tells him to take it, take it to the river and put it under a rock and don't wash it. Just put it under the rock and he leaves after many days. Can you imagine what that girdle looked like? It was probably smelly. It was probably rotting. And then he tells him, take that girdle and put it on. And then uh, what was the symbolic point? Look at verse 11. For as the girdle cleaveth cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory, but they would not hear. And what he was saying was that that girdle represented the people of Israel and Judah, and they were wicked and they were sinful and they were idolatrous, and God still took them and they were cleaving unto him. And so Jeremiah was living this out as a, as a visible sermon, basically, for them to see that their sin and the fact that they had to cleave unto God, and that was their only hope. Another prophetic action that Jeremiah was asked to do had to do with uh, the possibility of a wife and family. And we've seen with some of the prophets, like Hosea, Hosea was told to go marry uh, the, the, the harlot Gomer and had children with her. We saw Isaiah had a wife who was a prophetess and he gave symbolic names to his sons, the two sons he had. But with uh, the life of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was given a different task and his task was not to marry. To look at Jeremiah chapter 16, verses one and following. The word of the Lord came also unto me saying, thou shalt not take thee a wife, Neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. For thus saith the Lord concerning the sons and concerning the daughters that are born in this place and concerning their mothers that bear them and concerning their fathers that begat them in this land. They shall die of grievous deaths. They shall not be lamented. Neither shall they be buried, but they shall be as dung upon the face of the earth and they shall be consumed by the sword and by famine and their carcasses shall be meat for the fowls of heaven and for the beasts of the earth. So Jeremiah was told, don't marry, don't have children, because you're going to symbolize what's going to happen to this generation that goes into exile. Uh, their children are going, to be, are going to be killed by the invaders. Their bodies are going to be left unburied. And your status, your marital status, is going to reflect the barrenness of the generation that is to come. A final example of this, and this is less of a symbolic action and more 
of an activity that Jeremiah was directed to do that would serve as an illustration is found in Jeremiah 18. And it's his famous visit to the potter's house. And so he was called upon to go uh, to, to see a potter making pottery. Look at Jeremiah 18, beginning in verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause thee to hear my words. And I went down to the potter's house. And behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. And so it's, a, it's an amazing picture of the sovereignty of God. He's the potter and we are the clay. And the nations are clay in his hand. He shapes things as he wishes. And he can toss one aside and reshape another. He can do as he pleases. He's a sovereign God. And so this was, a, a, again, more of a, an illustration that Jeremiah was given, an inspired illustration. Of course, the Apostle Paul will pick up this image in Romans 9 to talk about God's sovereignty and election. That the, that the potter can do as he wishes with the clay. The clay can't turn to the potter and say, why have you made me this way? That God is sovereign. Another thing that stands out in Jeremiah's ministry, that he was called to, if we were to use modern parlance, to speak truth to power. Uh, Jeremiah was called to go to those who were in authority, like the king, and he was to tell them that they had fallen short of God's commands and God's desires. And so Jeremiah was basically an unpopular preacher. Uh, he lived in a time of turmoil, and there were lots of people who wanted him to speak smooth words and to prophesy positive things. But Jeremiah went in, and he just couldn't uh, not tell the truth. And that would be the unvarnished truth. He didn't sugarcoat his messages. He didn't soften things to make them more palatable for itching ears. And one of the things he did was he went to the king after the fall of Josiah, the death of Josiah was the last great hope. And he said, we're going to fall to the Babylonians. There's no need to try to resist it. Prepare yourself. We're going to go. We're going to be carried off into Babylon. We will not win against the Babylonians. And of course, this, this wasn't what the kings wanted to hear. And there were other people who were would-be prophets and priests, and they were saying, Jeremiah, stop you know, giving all this bad news. Can't you prophesy something good? And at one point in Jeremiah 6.14, he said of such men, they have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And so he uh, spoke truth to power. He often delivered those words of condemnation through bitter tears. It brought him no delight to tell his people that they, because of their sin, that God would allow them to fall to the Babylonians. He didn't relish bringing good news, this bad news. But nevertheless, he continued to speak the truth in love. 
And so because of this, he's often known as the weeping prophet. Many of his prophecies of the people being taken into exile uh, were, were delivered through tears. In Jeremiah 9.1, we read his writing, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughters of my people. In Jeremiah 13, 17, he said, But if ye will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride, and mine eye shall weep sore and run down with tears because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. And so he, he, he prophesied the exile, but he did it through tears. It didn't bring him any joy to do that. I thought about the, the young uh, Scottish preacher who, who died, I think, in his 29th year, Robert Murray McShane. And he said, you've got to preach about hell, but when you preach about hell, it must be through tears because you, you're warning people of what awaits those who reject Christ. Sometimes Jeremiah grew so despondent that he expressed wishes that he had never been born. He was so uh, discouraged. In Jeremiah 15.10, he wrote, Woe is me, my mother, that thou hast borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. So he was a man of strife and a man of contention. And he was regretting the day that his mother had even given birth to him. So burdened was he with despondency. During the reign of wicked King Jehoiakim, the king took the prophecies of Jeremiah and cut them up and threw them into the fire. Look at Jeremiah 36. The Lord had inspired Jeremiah to write down in a book uh, in a roll, the prophecies that he had, and they were prophecies that were against the nation, telling them that, that because of their idolatry and sin, they were going to be carried into exile. And by the way, although he didn't have any uh, sons or daughters, he did have a man named Baruch, who was his scribe. And he's mentioned a number of times throughout the book of Jeremiah. And he was, he was uh, probably the closest companion to Jeremiah, would write down his words for him. And so uh, he wrote down these prophecies in uh, Jeremiah 36, and they were taken to the king. And if you look over in Jeremiah 36 and verse 22, we read, Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudi, who was the king's assistant, had read three or four leaves, he cut it with the penknife, and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. So here is, shows you the wickedness of those days. This king hated not only Jeremiah, but he hated the word of God. And he was literally cutting it up and throwing it into the fire. But then after that took place, uh, you can go on and read in Jeremiah 36, 32. It says, then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And there were added besides unto them many like words. 
Again, the, 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 the process of the completion, the writing, the inscripturation, the canonization of Scripture had not ended. So what wicked King Jehoiakim tried to destroy, God, by the Holy Spirit, allowed Jeremiah to remember everything that the king had tried to destroy. And then he gave further revelations uh, that, were, that would be included in the book of Jeremiah. And so this is a wonderful passage. Jeremiah 36 says not just about the life of, of Jeremiah, but it's one of our key passages as a proof for what we call the doctrine of the preservation of Scripture. That God will not allow his word, not one jot or tittle of it, uh, to be lost. Um, one of the lowest points for Jeremiah came when he was thrown into a muddy cistern by King Zedekiah. A cistern was uh, basically an empty well, a deep hole in the ground. And this was a place where prisoners were sometimes kept. And so Jeremiah, for his um, unfailing prophecy of the truth, uh, he was taken and he was put into a prison and then he was basically just put in a hole in the ground. And we can see this in Jeremiah 38 and verse 6. Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamelech, that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. And sometimes if you've ever been through a great difficulty, you may feel like you've been left in the hole somewhere. And you can read that last line. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. And maybe sometimes you might feel like, oh, I'm sinking in the mire. Jeremiah uh, went through discouraging things, but the Lord, he found out, was with him. And the Lord delivered him out of that cistern and allowed him to continue and to carry out his ministry. Well, there were some, as I've said, there were some very difficult things that Jeremiah went through. There were some hard words he gave to his own people of, the, of his day. But God also led him to offer words of consolation and words of hope to his people. And part of that, that consolation was to say that even though you're going to go into exile, that God will not forget you. God will not abandon you. God will not give up on you. Even if you're sinking down in the mire, God will not forget you. And so one of the Best known passages from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, where Jeremiah said, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That verse has been very precious to many Christians over the years when they've been despondent. To know that, that God said to the Israelites at their lowest point, that his thoughts towards them were peace and not evil. To give them hope. To give them an expected end. Jeremiah was also instructed by God at this time to purchase a plot of land in his hometown of Anatote. And so this was a crazy, foolish real estate deal. The land is about to be overrun by the Babylonians. But Jeremiah goes in and he purchases a tract of land in his hometown. And what, what was that? It was an expression of hope. A terrible real estate deal. 
but an incredible spiritual deal. I'm going to trust that, that even though the land is going to be in exile, and people are going to be carried away, that God is going to return them. He's going to restore them. And he also, by the Spirit of God, was given even a greater hope than the restoration of the exile. We believe that he prophesied of Christ himself. There's that verse that we're repeating each Sunday, uh, this quarter from Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. See, he saw that from the the line of David, there would come a righteous king, and he would make things right. And he also, uh, probably one of his best-known prophecies as well was he prophesied the coming of a new covenant a new covenant uh, that would be made between God and man and we see this in Jeremiah 31 verses 31 and following behold the days come saith the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Well, what was the new covenant that would come through one who would forgive their sins and remember their iniquity no more? The righteous branch, the Lord Jesus Christ. And actually that passage, Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 is the longest passage from the Old Testament that's continuously quoted within the New Testament at Hebrews 8, verses 8 through 12. Well, how did Jeremiah end his life? Unfortunately, uh, the the evidence is a bit murky. We know, the facts that we know are that eventually, indeed, the Babylonians did come. Uh, They defeated Judah. They destroyed the temple. And uh, we're we're told in Jeremiah chapter 43 how a zealous group of uh, Jews at this time were frustrated with Jeremiah and they basically kidnapped him and, and forced him to be carried off into Egypt where he didn't really want to go. And so he was taken, uh, if you look at uh, Jeremiah 43, verse 7, it says, So they came in the land of Egypt, for they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Thus they came even to Toponies. And so that's basically where the, the story sort of ends in trying to figure out what happened to him in his life. There are some traditions of the later rabbis that he lived a long life, living up into his 90s long enough to return from Egypt to Judah and to be carried off to Babylon, where he he witnessed the very last scene 
that is recorded in the book of Jeremiah, which is in Jeremiah chapter 52, which tells us what happened to King Jehoiakim of Judah, who had been exiled there. And if you look at uh, Jeremiah 52, verses 31 through 34, it says that the the exiled Jewish king uh, was brought out of the prison. And in verse 32, it says that the, the Babylonian ruler spake kindly unto him and set his throne above the throne of the kings that were with him in Babylon and changed his prison garments. And he did continually eat bread before him all the days of his life. And for his diet, there was a continual diet given him of the king of Babylon every day, a portion until the day of his death, all the days of his life. And so uh, if, if Jeremiah uh, survived and was able to see that, perhaps uh, in his 90s to see that God had still given some favor to the Israelites while they were in bondage in, in Babylon, and the hope that they would be restored, then he had completed the ministry that God had given him. Jeremiah provides for us a pattern for godly living. It's a pattern that is provided for Christians in every age, especially those who live in times of turmoil and upset. Jeremiah was faithful to the Lord, He did not compromise God's word. He spoke the truth to power. Why? Because he feared God more than he feared men. He didn't relish giving the bad news of sin. In fact, he gave that news through tears. But he did not let uh, his having to deliver bad news inhibit him from what Paul would call speaking the truth in love. Let us follow his example in this generation if God so enables us. Amen? Amen. Let me invite you to stand together. Let's join in prayer. Lord God, we give thee thanks for thy many servants, the ones we know of by name, the ones who wrote scripture that was preserved, but also the many other saints uh, whose names are never known. Uh, Even some we know like Baruch, who, who assisted Jeremiah, but even many other faithful saints that will never know their names, but they have their place in serving thee. And we too are most likely going to be just anonymous Christians who lived in this generation. But our, our names are not forgotten by thee. And you know us uh, uh, inside and out, even as you knew the prophet Jeremiah, even before he was born, that you had a purpose for him. And so you have a purpose for each one of us. And so help us to find and fulfill the purposes for which you have brought us into this world. That we might serve thee and we come to the end of our days that we might, uh, we might say that with thy help, we have been able to do thy will and to meet the calling for which you have given us. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.